This evening's Bible reading is from John, chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. This can be found on page 1081 of the Church Bibles. Page 1081. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I want to ask you before we start, we're starting a a series of three sermon series, uh, this being the first one uh, over the next three weeks, about being servant-hearted. And I wonder what that means to you, what servant-hearted means. And does that have any bearing like on your life? I suppose the next logical question then is, what's that got to do with washing feet? So let's have a look together. Um, This passage is from uh, the book of John where John's been talking a lot about Jesus' identity as being of and from the Father, and how we, or how his followers, and so how we relate to that. And now finally in the gospel, we reach this point uh, in his ministry where Jesus is talking about his death. He has, um, by this passage, about a day left. And in the preceding uh, chapter of this, chapter 12, you don't have to look this up. I'll read it to you, verse 32. He says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. 
So then as we begin this chapter, chapter 13, John's continuing, hammering that point home, that this is the hour. We see in verse 1, have a look at verse 1 with me. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. This is the moment right now. Jesus' ministry, all of biblical history, um, all of human history has been leading up to this very point. And this chapter, chapter 13, begins a chain of events now, which, as I say, has about a day left, which leads up to Jesus' death on the cross. And it's important we keep that context in mind as we come to this passage and what seems like a slightly kind of random scene of Jesus washing the disciples' feet when we read it out of context, as we just have. So let's keep that context in mind. And as I said before, like maybe to you this feels like a familiar passage. You might have heard it taught before. But we'll see. And when you read it the first time, you think, okay, this is an example of Jesus giving his disciples what they need to do. And there's, there's so much truth in that. But as we look at it, we'll see that what's happening here is, is much, much bigger than that. It's, it's bigger than anything. So we're going to see how, uh, how his action here, I'm going to tell you from the outset, I'm going to spoil my own sermon if you like. Um, his action here explains the cross. And then what is our reaction to that? And then what is our response? So that's, that's where we're going. So let's look first then. Jesus explains the cross. What's happening here in this scene of foot washing? Well, first of all, it's worth noting um, how John starts. And in verse 1, he says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So what's about to happen, what we're about to see? That's out of love. And verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and he had come from God and was returning to God. There we go again. Jesus is from God and of God. He's the creator of the world. And here, from God, he's in control of it all. And right in that moment, what does he do? Verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Boom! This is the creator of the universe. The hands that flung stars into space. The very fingers which created all things and without which nothing was made. The eternal and cosmic word and the light of the world washing people's feet. And this isn't just any like shoe shine or like a foot massage. I'm probably not like, you know, doing it justice, really. Um, in those days, people would walk around with open-toed sandals, as I'm sure you know from TV. Um, and they, you'd leave your, uh, let's say you were going out for dinner. You might have a full bath. You'd put your open-toed sandals on. You'd walk out on the road. Um, you'd walk everywhere because there were no cars. And in fact, the only vehicles there were really were animals. So there was lots of poo on the floor. So then you start to see where I'm going with this, don't you? They've got poo in between their toes and in the, in the toenails. And then when you get to the house that you're having dinner at, a slave washes your feet. 
And if you didn't have a slave handy, then no one washed your feet. This was not something that you did to appear. And hence, uh, at this scene here, at this meal, there obviously was no slave. And so the disciples were sitting there with dirty feet. I was trying to think of a, a good modern analogy for this. And this is really weak, I apologize. But I think hopefully it illustrates the point a bit. You wouldn't go out for dinner with your friends, and then when you finish the meal, collect up all of their plates, take them into the kitchen, and wash them all up for them, would you? You'd, they, they would think you were mad. You would leave it to the paid waiters and the waitresses. And if they didn't do it, you would just, just leave them there. Only this is obviously way worse because, well, first of all, it's much more personal, but also involves poo and feet. So what he's doing, what Jesus is doing here is mucky, isn't it? It's humiliating. And it's totally countercultural. But what's this got to do with what John is showing us here with the cross, where he's taking us to? What Jesus is showing in his actions, the very nature of the cross, he's stooping to do something he doesn't deserve to do in complete humility. For the good of those, verse 1, he loves to the end, just as he will do on the cross. Jesus' idea of glory, his, his response to power, is love. Mucky, messy, selfless love. It's the master serving the servants. And it shows us where, where his heart is, exactly, exactly the way the cross does. I don't know, maybe you're not convinced. Maybe it seems like a stretch. Well, let's test our reaction here uh, by looking at Peter's reaction. And let's be honest, as is often the case with Peter, we might look at Peter with hindsight bias and think he's a bit of a fool. But actually here he's reacting the way that we all might. In fact, we all probably would at the thought of, God washing our feet. You'll see, he says, verse 6, Lord, so he recognizes this is God washing his feet. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Are you going to wash my feet? Jesus says, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. That's as in later, after the cross, Peter would see what Jesus was showing him. But Peter insists, you shall never wash my feet. To which Jesus now says, unless I wash you, and isn't this amazing? Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. We approach the cross on what Jesus did in dying to wash the, the muck and the stench of our life, our way, off of us so that we can be with him. And we must let him do that for us personally. And it's a tough image, isn't it? Jesus washing our feet, washing the darkest parts of our lives. It's embarrassing, it's squiffy. But it's an image which acts out what Jesus did for us on the cross. And it has to be him, dying on the cross so that we can be forgiven. 
has to be all him, the creator of the universe, stooping down in humility and service to wash us. See, Peter thinks he's in control of this. And it's just the same with us. It's, it's pride that makes him react like that. And it's pride for us. Even if it's because we, maybe we don't feel worthy, we're still saying we don't need or we don't want Jesus to do this for us. Um, I was, my, in fact, my whole family was the first on the scene of a house fire recently. Uh, we were driving through uh, Litchpit, and you could see the, the smoke going up and the flames. It's a really dramatic thing to see, and you know, the bangs and the pops coming off this house. It was horrible. Um, and you could see the house was filling with smoke, and we phoned the fire brigade, and they were on their way. They were the rescue. But the owners of the house weren't coming out. And it, it turned out after a while we realized as they did come out, that they'd been in the bath. And so they came out in their bathrobe. It's like a horrible thing, like a, a house fire in your bathrobe. It's embarrassing. But it's also, it's crazy to think that pride and embarrassment would prevent you from rescue. Now, I'm happy to say she made it out, the whole family made it out, and I pray for them with their house. It's horrible, just before Christmas. Um, but it was a good illustration of why we mustn't let pride prevent our rescue. So Peter, bless him, he's all in now. Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. But Jesus knows Peter. He knows for all his foolishness, for all his pride, he's committed to him. He called him Lord. And Jesus knows the cross will wash Peter clean. Peter is one of his own. And so he has already, verse 10, had a bath. Such is the significance of the work of the cross. And that's further emphasized by the fact that Jesus reveals he knows Judas is not following him to the cross. And therefore he is not clean. We face a choice when we face the cross. It's, it's totally central to everything. It's our bath. It's our invite to his table. And it reveals the very nature of Christ, of God. His power and his moment of total glory look like him being totally humiliated and humble in stooping down to save us in the most humiliating way out of love. And that may be not what we think of when we think of glory and power. It's, it's upside down to the world, isn't it? It can't be ignored. The cross cannot be ignored. It's ground zero for our faith and our understanding of God. We must leave our pride at the door and allow our King, Jesus, to serve us. And if we don't, we're saying we don't need him. We're saying we're better than him. And no servant is better than his master. So that's got to be our reaction. What is our response? Because, I mean, saying that out loud sounds kind of nuts, doesn't it? Let Jesus serve us. What's our response to that? Well, hopefully Jesus has given us an idea of how we should act in the way that he has acted here with this scene of feet washing. 
But now he's explicit uh, in, in the next part in telling his disciples, which is helpful, exactly how we should respond. And so I'm going to do what we should probably always do and let Jesus do the speaking here and just read the, the last part of this passage to you again. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. In the light of what he's done, we should follow him in obedience. We should be servant-hearted as well. We should have hearts to serve. But is that as easy as screwing up your face, you know, putting a big person pants on, trying really hard at being servant-hearted? I'll ask you at the beginning what you thought being servant-hearted looked like and whether that would have any bearing in your life. Christ's incredible act on the cross, as demonstrated through this foot washing, it cannot, if you take it in, if we let it in, leave our idea of God and our idea of reality unchanged and therefore not have a bearing on our life. Let me say that again. When we behold Christ our servant, we cannot help it reshaping our life. It's worth taking just a moment to think about what we mean when we talk about the heart in servant-hearted. Because the heart's a word used a lot in the Bible, in fact used a lot in society. Um, Generally in modern thinking, the heart is much more linked to just feeling. But in the Bible, it's more of the core of a person. We get a sense for that now still, but it's the center of the person. It's like the will at the center. A bit like, if you like, the executive center of the person, the CEO of you. Um, We have social influences all around us. We have a body. We have a mind that thinks, and then we have feelings that come out of those thoughts, and thoughts that influence our feelings. But at the middle of us is our heart, our will. And this influences our decisions. Our decisions come from there almost voluntarily. They kind of fly out of us. And it's why we make decisions feeling like we have no other choice but to make them. And equally why at times we decide to do things that we don't really want to do. The CEO of a company is in control of the company, but it's not always in control of their parts. The cross is radically countercultural to the values and priorities of the world, so it calls us to turn away from our own selfish desires and embrace a life of self-giving love and service to others. Verse 15, he has set us an example. And as we realize that example, the CEO within us starts to give different orders. You can even start making decisions that surprise you. Other-centered, servant-hearted decisions. And that's positive to others. Christ's example goes through you, to them in your actions and they start to see Christ in you and they start to see Christ through you and that washes their feet. 
but the work is Christ's, not your own. This transformation, C.S. Lewis, as he's always so good at doing, puts it like this. Just as the roof of a sunhouse does not extract the sun because it is bright, but becomes bright because the sun shines on it. In other words, we do not offer our good deeds to God, hoping that they will earn us his love. Rather, God's love transforms us, enabling us to live a life of self-giving love and service to others. The very nature of Christ is seen in what he did on the cross, demonstrated through this foot washing. And that's what Jesus is saying in verse 13 and 14, that he is our teacher and our Lord. And he's not our Lord unless we also embrace him as our teacher. And in doing so, follow his example by fixing our eyes on him and his character revealed on and through the cross and that allow that to shape our hearts to be more like him. And this is every day. This is every day, not just Sunday. Now, I don't know if at the moment you're, uh, any of you here have been reading this book um, that we're working through, because we're in Lent at the moment, and this takes us through Lent. It's called The Beauty of the Cross. Um, and in fact, I would really encourage you, we've only just started Lent, if you're not doing it, to do it. I understand we still have copies. Ellie's said that she'll sell them to you afterwards for four pounds. Um, grab a copy and take the chance every day to reflect on the bath that he has given us through the cross and wash your feet with him daily. For us to have hearts like Jesus, hearts for God, that was always God's intention. In fact, we see it right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis when we were created to rest and rule creation with him, with hearts for him, putting all things under us, just as we saw him do with Jesus at the beginning of this passage. But the devil in the garden intervened. And we won't read it, I'm sure it's familiar. And I'm sure you'll remember that the devil didn't hit Eve over the head with a rock. He whispered an idea in her ear. A distorted image of God. We have a God who is, we see here, is for us, loves us, and has a servant heart that moves towards us. Satan whispered that instead, God wanted to lord it over us and was, was holding out on us. And as soon as Adam and Eve accepted and embraced that idea, that concept of God, their hearts changed from him, and God had no choice but to separate from them. And that separation remained through human history until now, until the cross. And there's a similar warning for us here too. We've seen Judas in the midst of what Jesus is doing here. Verse 2, the devil whispering an idea in his ear. If only he had fixed his eyes on Jesus to the end, he would have seen the cross. As we let the cross in, as we face it humbly, with our pride and our preconceptions of God left at the door, and he washes us in total servant-hearted humility. The image of that changes our hearts, and it renovates our life. And our natural reaction to that will be to live in the light of that, to follow his example, verse 15, in natural willing, heart-led obedience. And we're going to see what that looks like for us 
personally next week in more detail as we look at Philippians, and then the week after that, collectively as his church. And I really encourage you to come along for the rest of that series. And we'll find out more about what Jesus leaves us on here in verse 17. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus washing the disciples' feet is a powerful demonstration of his character, of his love and his humility, and that's exactly what he did on the cross. His actions show us the true power and glory are found in selfless love and service. We must allow him to wash away our sins so that we can be with him and in him. So let us embrace the humility of the cross and the servant-heartedness of Jesus. Servant-heartedness is what it looks like for us to be glorified in Christ. It looks like us on our hands and our knees washing people's feet. So let his servant heart transform yours. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. For what it shows us of you and for what it turns us into. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.